Brilliant. There we go. Have a laugh with him about it. In fact, one of the things I wanted to start with is um, when was the last time that you, as a person, had a moment where you had one of those times where you just had a real big belly laugh, that it really, it, you laughed so much that it really hurt. Do you, do you remember the last time you did that? Was it this last week? Yeah. It was. Brilliant. You know, sometimes I think uh, we, we can be so busy and so caught up with the, the, the difficulty of our daily lives that we can forget to have a laugh. We can forget to laugh at the things that go on around us, can't we? And I think sometimes I, um, in fact, this Saturday morning, I had, a, for the first time, I think forever, I had a few moments in bed on Saturday morning with no children jumping on me, and I didn't need to get up. And I, and I had my phone on, and I just went through, I've got this, um, this group that I'm part of on Facebook, and I just went through watching a number of videos, which made me laugh, which made me laugh, and it was a lovely moment where I uh, could just like have a moment of just laughing at things. You know, life isn't always easy. Life is hard, and you know, what I love about this new series that we've started is that looking at the book of Hebrews, and it's a wonderful book that addresses many questions that we would have. Many questions that this, this book was written uh, to a group of believers to address questions like, you know, if God is so committed to our joy, so committed to us, and loves us so much, then why is life so hard? You know, this book addresses, you know, a lot of these questions. And the way the book addresses these questions is it addresses it by helping us to see that life is a journey. It helps us to see that, you know, this, the book of Hebrews looks at many things that have gone before. It looks a lot at the prophets, the priests of the Old Testament. It looks a lot at the law of the Old Testament. But it always brings us back to the fact that in Christ, things are different. Very different. That because of Jesus, things are immeasurably different, contrastingly different. And Jesus is very much the theme of this book of Hebrews. And my prayer for us all as we continue on this series is that our faith in Christ would be stirred again and again and again that we would just be oozing faith in Christ in our daily life, that we would be bolstered, stretched and enlarged in who we are in Christ as we walk with him. So as we continue our series, we're going to um, dive in now into chapter 2. And as I've been looking at this uh, chapter this past week, I would say that the writer of Hebrews draws out or draws our attention to three things it's often a biblical number, isn't it? Three things. So we're going to look at three things through chapter two this morning. And those three things that the writer, I feel, is drawing our attention to is firstly, the significance of the gospel. The significance of what, as Christians, we believe and that we live out each 
day of our lives. The significance of the gospel, firstly. Secondly, the significance of man. The significance of you and me and and mankind generally. And then finally, I'm going to look at the significance of Jesus' relationship to us. Jesus and his relationship to us. So first, let's launch into looking at the significance of the gospel. And um, we're going to do that by looking at the chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And the verses will come up on the screen behind me. Okay, it says this, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received is just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So, when we're looking at these Verses. We, if we consider who the audience were that were, were listening to these words of the writer of Hebrews, they were mainly made up of Jews. They'd heard a message, a message from the Old Testament books, a message of law, a message of priestly um, law and, and how the approaching the presence of God was in the temple through a curtain and God's holiness was something that we couldn't get close to. But now is a different message of salvation through Christ. That no longer is the holiness of God just contained within the temple. But the holiness of God is contained within every believer that trusts in and follows Jesus Christ. The holiness of God is in you and me. Isn't that wonderful? That every single one of us carries the wonderful presence of Christ in each of us. And this message First, as we read in these verses, was announced by Jesus. Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's through me that you will know God, that you will know life, that you will know eternal life. And as we read in this passage, it's confirmed by those who heard him. And it's subsequently demonstrated by the great signs and wonders and miracles and gifts that followed. You know, verse 4 is reminiscent of a verse that you might see in the book of Acts. Various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed amongst the people according to his will. The message is clear. There is salvation, and salvation is found in Jesus. There is a way from brokenness. There is a way from hopelessness. There is a way from sin that we can get entangled in. There is a way from the imperfection of the law, the weight that the law that we can sometimes carry around with us, 
There is a way that's freedom from that, from all these things, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He announced it. We read it in the Gospels, and it's a wonderful thing to know Jesus. It's a joy to know Jesus. You know, I love Heather's prayer at the end. We can celebrate the fact that we know Jesus and that he's with us and he will always be with us. Even after we have left this earth, Jesus is with us for all eternity. Jesus says, come to me. He says in the Gospels, come to me. If you are heavy and burdened, he'll give us rest. That's his promise. His promise is he will give us rest. You know, know that rest in Jesus today. Receive Jesus. He says, come to me. Jesus is a shepherd. We can follow him and he will lead us into fullness of life. That's his promise. Jesus says, come to me like a little child and I will show you heaven. And these verses go on to say that those around Jesus who heard him speak, those who walked with him, you know, there was no doubt in their minds that Jesus was the Messiah. When he came and spent time with them 40 days before he ascended to heaven, Jesus came and they confirmed that salvation comes through Jesus. And that was enough. Jesus is enough to know God. And Jesus demonstrated wonderful salvation through signs, wonders, miracles, and the outworking of the gifts of the Spirit. You know, the gifts of the Spirit are available to us today. They're available to us today to exercise, to see the outworking of God's kingdom here on earth. And hear me, says the writer of the book of Hebrews, at the very start of this says, pay careful attention to these things. Don't ignore them. Don't ignore them because they are eternal life to all those people that trust in them. The truths, the foundations that Jesus is the way to know God is what helps and motivates us in our daily lives. Isn't that true? It's wonderful truth. I don't know what your plans are coming up in the next couple of weeks. You know, we, we are making decisions in our uh, life group, in our church plant group now, to do things in order that others will come to know Jesus. You know, we're putting on an event on Halloween. And a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't. I was very anti-Halloween. I was very much, no, I'm a Christian. I do not mix with that. It's bright light parties for me. But I've been challenged to do things differently. I have. And I think as Christians, we need to do things differently. If we're going to tell people, if we're going to help people understand the gospel message, we need to think differently about how we help people understand that Jesus is the way, that the gospel message is true, that it's the foundation of who we are. So we are going to do a party at our house on Halloween. And we're going to, do, uh, we're going to toast marshmallows for people that are passing by. And we're going to invite them to come into the back. We've not done it before. We're going to give it a go and see what happens. But last year, I know I've said this before, but we had 100 children knock on our door on Halloween. 
A hundred children. I mean, there's not a hundred people in this room. And it's a great opportunity to help people hear and understand the gospel. We're going to give them a hope bag, which gives the truth of Jesus in this bag. I don't know how many children will read it, but we're giving hope. We're giving life into people's hands. I'm not knocking bright lights parties, by the way. I just want to make that clear. I know there's lots of ways that we can help people understand this gospel. You know, this week, it's been really quite wet. I mean, we've had a lovely day yesterday. We went for a nice walk on the common. But this week, it's been a bit wet. And I have some lovely brown shoes, which I like to wear. Um, but I decided this particular day that they, whenever I walk to school, not walk now to school, they always get really wet and I get wet feet. And I hate, I've just, in the end, I thought, I'm not going to get wet feet today. So I thought, this morning, I'm going to wear these black shoes. And um, I put these black shoes on. And, and Nara said to me, as soon as I sort of put them on to walk out there, he said, Dad, what shoes are you wearing? What are those shoes? Um, I says, well, actually, these are my uh, old shoes. I don't wear them very often, but I thought I'd put them on today to keep my feet dry. And he was like, oh, okay, fair enough. But these shoes I bought, um, I think it was nearly 20 years ago. Crazy, isn't it? 20 years ago I bought these shoes. So it's obvious how often I wear these shoes. But I really like them. Bought them in the States, Skechers. I thought they were quite trendy at the time. I don't think they are anymore. <laughs> but I wore these shoes to walk Noah to school. And, and um, I remember walking home. So that day I wore them. I was walking home. Yes, go on, have a look. There you go. There they are, black sketches. And I remember walking home. It was probably Tuesday or Wednesday. Walking home from dropping Noah off at school. And I really felt that God spoke to me quite clearly. And he said to me, um, well, actually, he, I felt like God put a verse in my mind. And it's the, um, it's the Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, where it's the um, verse that encourages us to put on shoes. Now, let me just um, see if I can find it for you very quickly. Ephesians, where is it? After, before Philippians? There we go, found it, right. Ephesians 6. Verse 15 says, uh, talking about the armor of God, and it says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And I don't know about you, but the armor of God, we all know, you know, the sword of the spirit. We know the, this sort of helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. But we don't, I don't know, we don't often think of shoes very often in terms of armor. But I really feel like, actually, God was encouraging me you need to put your shoes on more often. You need to put these shoes on. I mean, not these ones. But you need to put your gospel shoes on more often. Because what you carry is the life of the world. It's salvation for anyone that chooses to follow Jesus. It's for everyone. And I felt like God was challenging me to put shoes on, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, I just want to uh, share some of the, a quote that, um, um, from John Piper. Now, he talks on Ephesians 6, verse 15. And he said this um, when he was preaching on this verse. He said, My dream is that all of us 
would find some natural outlet for love toward the lost people in this city. That they would develop an array of bridges into the church that he's part of from many pockets of unbelief. That our personal sense of the reality of Christ would be so deep and confident and satisfying. I love John Piper when he talks about satisfied in Jesus, in God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Satisfied in Christ that we can scarcely keep from commending him to others, commending Jesus to others, and that the power of Christ would rest upon us with unusual effectiveness. The gospel, the salvation through Jesus, is what the writer in Hebrews is helping us to really get a grasp of, that it is the hope and the salvation for the whole world. Right, the second thing the writer draws our attention to is the significance of man. So if we go on through the, the chapter here, we then look at um, the writer draws on um, what is man that you are mindful of him. So we're looking at verse six, second half of six um, to verse eight. So the writer here draws from uh, Psalm eight. So this piece of scripture comes um, at a point when uh, he's, he's drawing from Psalm eight. And it says this, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a moment. Now, in Psalm 8, if you reference this back to the, um, the Hebrew, this particular scripture reads that God made man, or made him, a little lower than Elohim. The Hebrew word there is Elohim, and a he- Elohim is a Hebrew name for God. You know, we are created as special, unique beings with glory and honor that God has bestowed on each one of us, every human being. And not, it's not something that we obtain for ourselves. It's not something that we can take any credit in for ourselves in who we are, but that God willingly gives glory to every human being. We are made in God's image. You know, the life and personhood of every human being, every human being is significant. It is worthy of great honor and respect and value. Just Receive that for a moment. There is great honor in every human being. The value of human life is very high in the eyes of God. It's very high. And yet somehow, something has gone horribly wrong. You know, because as we see, as we alluded to earlier, present, you know, we just don't see everything subjects do, man, in a way that brings glory to God. The world is an absolute mess. The world is a mess. John Hosier, some of you might know the name. He's a uh, leader within New Frontiers. I think he's retired now. Um, He sort of has done many things uh, across churches, within churches in the UK and overseas in a variety of different contexts. And he wrote a blog this week, and he said something about the state of the world. But I just want to read to you. 
He says this, as one who didn't rush to accept what was happening, I believe it's now impossible to dismiss the reality that our world is changing. Fires rage more fiercely, floods come more often, storms blow more strongly, and we see the pictures of melting ice, disappearing glaciers, and forests and threatening, uh, are threatening low-lying islands. Our world is in deep trouble, and we don't seem urgent enough to fix it. There is a rise in international tensions that make the world look even more dangerous. There are a rising number of potential conflict points. There is a rising tide of hatred, division, separation around the globe. It's bad enough in the UK with tensions running high over Brexit, increasing demands for another Scottish referendum. And that's nothing compared to the fear engendered by the increasing strength of al-Shabaab in Nigeria, as well as al-Qaeda in the Far East, and the potential resurrection of ISIS in the Middle East and North Africa. We live in a very tense world. To suggest that society is breaking up or breaking down sounds like a cliche, but violent crime, family breakdown, and the kind of madness that is now propagated in the gender confusion all contribute to a fracturing society. Isn't that, isn't that horrible when you read, hear all of that in terms of the state of the world? We do not see a world where mankind is doing that well at looking after it, as we read in Scripture. Present, we do not see everything subject to him. We do not see the reality of verses 7 and 8 of this chapter. We see brokenness, suffering, hatred, and division. So what's the answer? Well, I know that probably most of us in the room will come to the point where Jesus is the answer. That Jesus is the one who has and can save us. And if we look at this passage and we go on to the next verse, after verse 8, it says... It says this, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus. It's, it's almost like you get to that point of actually there's no other hope. There's no other way. What else do we do? We turn to Jesus. We look to him. Jesus is the way that's going to help, that just is going to give us the solution to the things that we are seeing all around us. We see again repeated again and again in this particular chapter we see it in verse 16, in verse 18. Jesus says, For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. In verse 18, that he is able, he, was, he himself suffered and was tempted, but he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus helps us and guides us and gives us that sense of confidence that he will bring um, a change to the situations that are going on in the world. Charles Spurgeon has, has preached on this particular passage a number of times, but the way he's preached on this passage is he's preached on four words, and it's the four words from verse 9, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the one who is going to make an end to all these things. That's the truth. That's the truth. And he says this, and I'll just... Um, Read from, from him. Are you racked with pain tonight? Let me help you to see Jesus. You know, you are not exceeding sorrowful unto death, nor are your griefs to be compared, but you have, been, have you been deserted and betrayed? See Jesus, kissed 
by Judas? Have you been denied by some friends who promised to be faithful? Look into the face of Jesus as he turns to Peter. Death itself, as death, does death itself stare you in the face? Remember him who, being found in fashion as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. We should never be alone if we see Jesus. Or at least if we were, it, it would be a blessed solitude if we never feel deserted, if we see Jesus. We should have the best of helpers if we see Jesus. Through the wilderness, you may continually come up leaning on your beloved, and with him, you may have perpetual such sweet enjoyments that earth, desert as it is, shall seem to blossom like a garden of roses as your spirit shall enjoy heaven below. When we see Jesus, when we look to him, we find hope, we find confidence as we overcome, as we see him at work in our lives and outworking the things through us. So finally we turn to the significance of our relationship between Jesus and us. So let's look at verse 9 to 11. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering." Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. You know, it doesn't deny the truth that there is a battle that we are fighting as Christians. But the wonderful thing is that Jesus, that we are made holy through suffering. Through Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection, that we are made one with him. Jesus is now crowned with glory and honor. He reigns victorious over sin and death. That's the truth. Jesus suffered death. He went through the harrowing experience of dying on the cross so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone, that he might identify with each and every one of us, that he's been there. He went through it. Jesus, the holy Perfect, righteous, Emmanuel, God with us, God coming to earth. He went through that in order that he could identify and sympathize with each one of us. He knows our pains. He knows our trials. He knows what we go through each day. Jesus shared our humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. If we go on further in this chapter... We see that since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus has set us free from fear, from insignificance. He set us free from loneliness because he is with us. He stands with us. Jesus is the bringer of hope, of God's glory. 
He leads the way to salvation. He's like the general leading an army. He is the source and origin of salvation. Jesus, if you like, blazes a trail for others to follow. He's the initiator that others partake and enter into knowing God. You know, it's like, um, it's like a, a ship that hits some rocks and the ship is sinking fast and everyone's panicking on the ship. And the only way to safety is if someone swims ashore with a line that once the line is secure, others can then follow. And it's like Jesus is that person that swims ashore, gets a secure line, and enables every one of us to escape that sinking ship. This is like, this is our relationship with Jesus. Jesus identifies with each one of us because of his death on the cross. And he's thrown a lifeline to each one of us. He, he rescues us from things that, uh, from the rocks, things that go on. You know, we're united with Christ the moment we see him. You know, Jesus has done it all, yes? Jesus has done it all, and we can stand on his word, and we, we can walk with him and trust him for every area of our life. You know, say, say seeing is believing, but it takes our spiritual eyes to see Jesus, to receive Christ's love and truth and wisdom. You know, the moment we decide to follow him is the moment we see him. The moment we invite Jesus into our hearts is the moment we see him for who he is and what he's done for us. You know, we experience an impartation of faith to trust him. But our encouragement is to, is to do that in every area of our lives. That we take risks to see his kingdom come. That we do crazy things like buying fields because we know that there's a treasure in it that's so great that nothing else matters except buying that field. You know, the moment we see Jesus, we take risks, we do new things, we step out in faith. It's like the scales have fallen from our eyes and we see him and we walk with him. You know, when we see Jesus, it's that moment that, you know, I don't know if you've, well, you've been to the airport, you see people waiting in their rivals lounge and they're waiting for their loved one to come through that gate and to see their faces light up and the hug that they give it's like when we see Jesus that's what bubbles up within us the joy of knowing him the joy of walking with him Jesus is the way he's the gate in which we enter the kingdom of heaven and my encouragement to all of us today is to continue looking to him to continue drawing from him. He is the source. He is the origin of our faith. He is the one that gives us the confidence to step out into new things, to do things for his glory, to see his name lifted high. As we take time to see Jesus, we'll grow in our understanding and knowledge of who we are in him and the purpose and plan he has for our lives. Let's stand. I just want to pray for us and encourage us. Jesus, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the truth of your love for each one of us. Thank you, Lord, for everyone in this room. 
Thank you, Lord, that, that we represent something of your image on earth. And I just pray now, Holy Spirit, would you come here? Would you bless us with your presence? Would we know your wonderful presence, Jesus, as we just respond in this song? Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us on the cross. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your new life, Jesus. And I just pray, Lord, where you've been working in our hearts this morning, continue to work in our hearts, Lord, this week. Continue to draw us closer to you. Continue to give us the faith, Lord, to step out in you in new ways. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in us. Amen.